We thank our worship team this morning for leading us in. You know, I got to say this to Becca uh, about an hour ago, but I'm going to say it again. The song choice today, um, what a what a look to what we are going to be studying here in Psalm 48 as we are wrapping up in our Summer in the Psalm series. I do, I welcome you. My name is, uh, is Nick. I get to be one of the pastors here at Word of Life. It is such a pleasure to be with you this morning. Uh, I spoke with Pastor Jay on the way over here. He also sends his greetings. Uh, he has just spent the week. I don't know what your week was like, um, but he just spent the week um, with 300 kids out at camp. Uh, so maybe, you know, if you thought he had a hard week, you didn't have to do that. Um, no, no, he had a great time. The, 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 the gospel was proclaimed. Um, kids got to encounter Jesus. Uh, what an incredible opportunity. So we're so glad to be able to share Pastor Jay uh, with Tuscarora this last week. Um, but here we are today, last week in, in our summer in the Psalm series. Before we dive in, would you please pray with me? Father in heaven, we are we are grateful, God, that you are the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. God, that you provide an opportunity here now on a Sunday morning to stop and to ponder and to think on how truly magnificent you are. That you are the Lord of Lords, creator of the universe. That you knew how many strands of hair were on our heads before we were born. That you are all powerful that you are all-knowing. But God, you are also all-loving and all-forgiving. We worship that too. Lord, as we dig into your word this morning, God, I pray that the words that are spoken are your words, not mine. Your thoughts, not mine. For our lives today. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Like I said, we are in Psalm 48. You know, uh, every week we, we make the same invitation of, if you have your Bibles with you, uh, uh, you can turn to Psalm 48. Um, this is what I want to do today. Uh, maybe you don't normally pull it up on your phone or your iPad or whatever, I'd encourage you to do it today. We're going to be kind of bouncing back and forth a little bit. Um, so you may want to have that right in front of you. Um, but before we do that, we're actually just going to read the psalm in its entirety. Uh, psalm 48, and it says this, Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God, his holy mountain, beautiful in elevation, is the joy of all the earth, Mount Zion in the far north, the city of the great king. Within her citadels, God has made himself known as a fortress. For behold, the kings assembled, they, they came on together. As soon as they saw it, they were astonished. 
They were astounded. They were in panic. They took to flight. Trembling took hold of them there. Anguish as of a woman in labor. By the east wind you shattered the ships of Tarshish. As we have heard, so have we seen in the city of the Lord of hosts, in the city of our God, which God will establish forever. We have thought on your steadfast love, O God, in the midst of your temple. As your name, O God, so your praise reaches to the ends of the earth, your right hand is filled with righteousness. Let Mount Zion be glad. Let the daughters of Judah rejoice because of your judgments. Walk about Zion. Go around her. Number her towers. Consider well her ramparts. Go through her citadels that you may tell the next generation that this is God. Our God forever and ever. He will guide us forever. Amen? Psalm 48 is this. This awesome exaltation, this, 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 this anthem for the people of God. But I also think it, it's descriptive of who the church is supposed to be and what we're supposed to do as well. This city, the city of Mount Zion is, is a foreshadowing of the body of Christ. Made up of all sinners and saints. And just as it does in this psalm. And as it does in our lives, that, that the worship and glorification of God happened, begins here in a worship service, but blows outside of the church walls into the very neighborhoods and communities that we are called to live. The influence of the church upon the world is first and foremost to be about his worship and magnification about the glory of God and the proclamation that he reigns and rules forevermore in Jesus Christ. So I want to highlight a few things. We're going to walk back through this passage a few ways that Psalm 48 tells the church how we should act and how we should be like. We're going to put these up here. It's going to look, you're going to be like, I mean, you're going to see the slide and be like, oh, we're in for a long one. We're not in for a long one. <laughs> Don't worry. We're going to go fast through it, okay? Number one, the church should bring joy to the world. Verses one and two say, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God. His holy mountain, beautiful in elevation, is the joy of all the earth. You see, in the New Testament, Jesus describes people who have had an encounter with Christ that know that, that Jesus is the forgiver of their sins, the savior of their lives. He describes the church as both salt and light to the world. And as being, as being salt and light, as being people who have been graced by God with his forgiveness to bring that to a disgraced world, we are the joy bringers in this world. That is what the church is called to be, is the bringers of joy. You know, we've been, this thread, this, this theme that has been in every, every message since Easter, I hope you haven't grown tired of hearing it, 
But as we join Jesus on his mission, that is the mission of the church, to be the bringers of joy, to be the bearers of that cup of cool water, to be that pinch of yeast of love and forgiveness and joy in the world. Number two, the church's message is that God is a fortress, a refuge in times of trouble. You see, the only hope for people who have rebelled against God is God himself, specifically in the freely offered righteousness of Christ, our rock and redeemer. Uh, this last week, we had a chance, uh, my family, uh, to send our kids up to Inspiration Point Bible Camp. They had a great time. Uh, I hope your kids are going this summer. And at the uh, closing program on Friday morning, they show pictures and video from the week and all this stuff. And then they interview a couple of kids. And uh, it was kind of a special dad moment as they were interviewing my son, Teddy, and they asked, Teddy, what did you learn at Bible camp this week? And Teddy said that Jesus is my shelter. I needed to hear that. Maybe you need to hear that, that Jesus is my shelter. In, in a few chapters later in the book of Psalm 62, it says, he alone is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will never be shaken. That is one of the messages of the church to, to point people to the only safe harbor, the love and grace and forgiveness of sins that is only offered by God. And as, as we look a few chapters ahead in Psalm, we can also look back in the book of Psalms, just two chapters before what we are studying this morning in Psalm 46. If, uh, if we have any, um, <clears throat> any of our hymn sing Fans in the house, um, that most famous hymn that Martin Luther wrote, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, is based off of Psalm 46. And I'm sure if we wanted to, we could start an acapella version of this hymn. We aren't going to do that this morning, but I do want to read you a few of the words from that famous hymn. A mighty fortress is our God a bulwark never failing. Our helper he amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing. If you go to the next verse, it says this. <clears throat> Did we in our own strength confide, our striving would be losing. We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. You ask who that may be? Christ Jesus. It is he, Lord Sabaoth, his name, from age to age the same, and he must win the battle. Number three, the church makes it clear that Jesus is Lord over and above all lords. Verses four and five in our text today says, for be, he sets this scene, right? The kings and lords of the area have gathered to come against the city of God. For behold, they assembled, they came out together, and as soon as they saw it, they were astounded. They were in panic. They took to flight. You know, this may be a timely 
passage for us as, as we have just come off of celebrating the 4th of July, as we've been celebrating Independence Day. It was not lost on me this week of, of this fact. You know, once a year we celebrate Independence Day to celebrate the freedom and liberties we are given as Americans, right? But every Sunday... Every Sunday morning, we get to celebrate our citizenship in a higher kingdom. We get to celebrate the independence and freedom that is given to us by the very death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the forgiveness of your sins. Because if you know that Jesus is the forgiver of your sins, that he is the savior of your life, then yes, you may be an American citizen, but you are a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. That you are a citizen of the city of God. And as we see here that when the kings and the lords of this earth assembled to come against the city of God, they panicked and trembled in fear. Church, I hope you hear that no matter how bad the world seems around you, that this is not our forever kingdom. And though it is incredibly tempting, our hope is not found in any political candidate or party or leader or king but our hope is found in the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Our hope is found in the risen Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Number four, the church is forthright about God's holiness and righteousness. Verses four through eight says this, for behold, the kings assembled, they came on together, and as soon as they saw it, they were astounded, they were in panic, they took to flight. Trembling took hold of them there, anguish as of a woman in labor. By the east wind you shattered the ships of Tarshish. As we have heard, so have we seen in the city of the Lord of hosts, in the city of our God, which God will establish forever. If you've been around Word of Life for any amount of time, or if you've been around a, a Lutheran church for any amount of time, you've heard of this, this dichotomy, the, this, these, the two pulses of Scripture of God's law and God's gospel. I don't know if you know this, that, um, that myself, that Jason, that, that all of our our pastors, our, all of the pastors in our denomination, we are trained to teach both God's law and God's gospel in every message that we proclaim. Right? This law that, that Martin Luther in his small catechism, what, what, is, what is the law? The law tells me what I am supposed to do and not do. And the gospel tells me what Jesus has already done for me, that he has forgiven my sins. But one of the, the things, especially if you hang around like our confirmation students, for example, as, they're, as they start grappling with this idea of God's law, there's definitely a part of it, right, that tells me what not to do. And that can be hard, right? Do not lie and do not steal. Do not be jealous. Those are hard things to do. And especially if you have been that, that can feel like death to that, that version of yourself. But there's another element to God's law as well. In his small catechism, Luther puts it this way, what is the central teaching of the law? Why is it there? The central teaching of the law is to love God, to love my neighbor. 
right? You've heard these words from Jesus. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. See, the laws of the Lord are not meant to be to be burdensome or, or here to ruin your life, but on the, contrary, on the contrary, they are here to point you and everyone else to the very love of God and the fulfillment of the gospel. You see, without the gospel, the law would be burdensome. The law would be death. But in the light of the gospel, or let's put it another way, in that same book, Luther asks, how can you have eternal life and the answer is, I can have eternal life by continually receiving the grace that God offers me in the gospel. John 17 says, now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Number five, the church is known for the love of God. Even more so, the church meditates and thinks deeply on God's love. Uh, I want to stop here for a moment, um, and I'm going to run a little experiment with you. Um, we're going to have Sue and Marty get this video ready for you. Um, by the way, kids, especially, uh, I want you to really pay attention to this video and see if you can get the right answer, okay? All right, when you guys are ready in the back. This is an awareness test. How many passes does the team in white make? Go! The answer is 13. But did you see the moonwalking bear? You know what? Okay, so when I, okay, when I watched that this week, I was like, oh yeah, I bet you wasn't in the first one that I had to go back and watch it. Yeah, totally there. It's incredible. And some of you are, hey, don't feel bad. If you didn't catch them the second time, that's okay too. But right, we don't look, we don't always see what we need to see, right? Now, obviously this was an ad out of London to keep an eye out for cyclists. Maybe you've seen ads like this um, to, to start seeing motorcycles, but how does this pertain to us this morning? Uh, you know, I preached last week and, and gave some announcements if you were here. And I, uh, I mentioned that we have Adventure Camp coming up here in a few weeks. We need some items uh, to be donated, and we still do. Um, and those are on tags that are on, on the Christmas tree out here. Uh, maybe all of you can turn, if you want to, you can seriously, you can turn around and look. It's all, it's, it's lit up, right? And it was, I had to chuckle because I definitely heard more than one person last week be like, oh, I didn't even know there was a Christmas tree. 
It's like, yeah, we got one. It's in July. It's weird. Yeah. It, it, but it's there. But right, but like sometimes like we just blow by these things in our, in our normal life. If you've been around here for any length of time, um, you know that we've had these banners up uh, behind us for, I believe, 16 months now. Um, and we have these banners up and we say it all the time. But especially this one of you are loved. But do you know that you are loved? How often do we think about God's love not only for you, but for others as well? That the church is to be known for the love of God. Is our church known for God's love? It's a question to ask ourselves. In 1 John, it says this, If we do not love, for Sean says that we do not know God. But because we do know God, we love not just him, but our neighbor as ourselves. If the church does not exhibit God as love, they show that they do not know him and thus are not the real church. But because God not only loves that he is love, that you are love, that we are called to love, that we are known, that, that the church, that Mount Zion, that very city on the hill, the beacon of light is God's love. Not a love that makes sense. I, 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 was, I was at a conference longer ago than I care to admit, and, and the, the theme of that conference was was this idea of reckless love. This love that goes further than, than we're even comfortable going. That person that you really don't like, God loves them. God made them. God wants them to be a son and daughter of the Most High King. That we, as the church, are to be known for God's love. Number six. The church's zeal for the glory of God. I want to read these um, verses 10 through 14 for you. As, you. as your name, O God, so your praise reaches to the ends of the earth. Your right hand is filled with righteousness. Let Mount Zion be glad. Let the daughters of Judah rejoice because of your judgments. Walk about Zion, go around her, number her towers, consider well her ramparts, go through her citadels that you may tell the next generation that this is God, our God forever and ever. He will guide us forever. You see, the, the church's passion for the glory of God, for, for the proclamation of his fame, not ours, for the spread of his praise, not ours, that, that kind of that kind of passion cannot be contained within the four walls of the church, but it spills out. It spills outside the city walls and flows to the very end of the earth. You see, this church, we do not exist just to serve each other. We are not here to exist for our own ends, for our own maintenance, but for the glory of God and for the good of the world. To put it simply, the church is on mission. And this mission is primarily to announce the greatness and loving kindness of God, demonstrated most abundantly in the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
in his sinless life, in his sacrificial death, in his glorious resurrection, in an age of increasingly consumeristic religion, there is no greater mission statement than that of proclaiming the goodness and glory of God. And number seven, the church cultivates a legacy of God's faithfulness. Maybe you uh, have, have, have seen this done before. I remember being a, a confirmation student and Pastor Pete Peterson was my, my confirmation instructor and he ran, he had a big ball of yarn. And he had a kid in the class hold on to the one end of it and then he had another one go out of the classroom and down the hall and down the stairs and down the hall and hang a right and out to the parking lot. Right? And what the metaphor was is that that, that whole string of yarn is, is the whole, the, the amount of human history. And then this portion, just the part that was covering his thumb, is the length of our lives. That our, li- that our time on earth is short. It's fleeting, right? What is the, the Old Testament describe it as, as, a, as a gust of wind, as vapor. But on the other side of that too is that God has been faithful for a very long time. That he has been faithful since the beginning. He has been faithful since before the beginning. That God is the same yesterday and today and tomorrow. This, this legacy of God's faithfulness and his loving kindness. You see, we serve a God who over the course of human history has wedded himself to us, not because we are faithful, but because he is. He will never leave you or forsake you. Maybe some of us need to hear that again. He will never leave you or forsake you. Can you imagine what the church would look like if we treated others with that very same preemptive, unconditional grace that God has shown us? Wouldn't that speak to the faithfulness of God much more than religious busy work or legalistic leveraging? The the very heartbeat of why we have Adventure Camp coming up here in a few weeks is to to be able to hand off this legacy of God's grace and his goodness to the next generation and the next generation and the next generation. We worship a God who never gives up on us. He is faithful. So as we look over what we've studied here today, Psalm 48, as we look over the entirety of, 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 of praising his glory and his loving kindness and and his faithfulness, his steadfastness. As we look at these words, we glimpse a church that transcends the present reality. You see, the, the church that's described in Psalm 48 is a church united in worship and love and fellowship, a beacon of hope proclaiming the good news of salvation. This vision stirs our hearts reminding us that the gospel has the power to transform lives and communities. And we can acknowledge 
right? That today, on Sunday, July 9th, 2023, the order of life, like, we're getting there. <laughs> we're not there yet. But we press on in faith, knowing that God is at work. We embrace our role as ambassadors of Christ, seeking to reflect his love and grace in a broken world. And by relying on the Holy Spirit and continually seeking Jesus, we are confident that the church will increasingly radiate God's glory. So my friends, as you consider the impact that this psalm may have in your life, we engage both in introspection as we look inside and action outside. We align ourselves with God's purposes contributing to the, to the growth of the church, but simultaneously we serve those in need, that cup of cool water, that pinch of yeast, that handshake or hug or prayer, demonstrating Christ's love in practical ways. See, Psalm 48 portrays a gospel-centered church prompting us to anticipate its future radiance. Despite our current shortcomings, God's faithfulness remains steadfast. And his promise to build and sustain his church is the same as it was 2,000 years ago. Fueled by Jesus' love for his bride, we eagerly await the day when the church shines with God's glory. A testament to his redeeming work in the world. And as it, sends, as it says at the end of this psalm, that this is God, our God forever and ever. He will guide us forever. Amen? Would you pray with me? God, boy, God, we... Um, <laughs> The, the sinner part of our sinner sainthood really comes out sometimes. We get nervous and anxious and angry, frustrated with the world around us. And we know because it's a broken world. But boy, God, it's a broken world that you love. That you are already at work in the world in ways that we can't even see. That you are working the lives of our families and our friends and our neighbors and our coworkers. God, that your legacy transcends time. That you have been faithful beyond our even concept of what that means. That you are there. God, would you make your presence known to us today? Some of us need the message of your comforting word. Would you wrap your arms around us today? God, some of us need to hear that message of to not just leave this good news here in the pews this morning, but to take it outside of these walls into the world. God, would you animate our hands and feet. Show us the way. Show us the way to bring others into the kingdom of God. I pray this in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen.